0: Hi, and welcome back to the Religion Bites podcast series. I'm Mallory Nye, and this is episode 17. Now, we've come a long way in the various episodes of this podcast series up to now. And I thought that in this episode, I would go over some of the ground that we've been looking at and take it a little bit further. And I'll be doing that probably in the next few episodes as we bring together a number of the themes that I've covered in individual podcasts up until the present to work as a base for some of the further discussion I'm going to be delving into as we move forward with some of the issues, some of the theories, some of the approaches and thinkers that make up the contemporary study of religion. As a starting point for this, indeed, as a starting point for any studies of religion, I'm going to ask a question that you rarely hear asked in a Religion 101 class. That is, what type of gloves should you be wearing to do this type of study? Now, it might sound a rather strange question. You might think, well, what's he talking about? But if you give it some thought... There are a number of options that take us into really some of the big questions about what the study of religion is about, how we could perhaps be doing this study, and some of the pitfalls and problems, the assumptions that we make as we pursue a study of what we think we're doing or what we're trying to achieve through asking the questions, pursuing the knowledge, delving into the understandings of what this thing is that we call culture, what we call religion, and so on. Now, some of this is quite hard to do over the medium of a podcast, through sound. I'm going to be talking about things that, in some cases, a picture will tell a lot more than I can do in the words through your speakers or headphones. I would recommend, if you are listening to this, obviously if you're driving or something, you can't do much about that. But if you're listening to this and you can also be looking at the pictures that accompany this, you can certainly go onto the religionbytes.xyz website for this podcast, number 17, and you'll see the various pictures as we go through. But Otherwise, just let your imagination work in terms of what I'm describing. And in some cases, I'll give you some particular details to help you think through. And in some cases, they they are famous pictures in themselves of gloves in particular contexts that you'll recognize even without seeing them, if you see what I mean. So there are nine particular options of gloves that I'm going to detail. And I'm not saying this is by any means a definitive list, but it is a starting point to think about the various range of what I'd say approaches, theoretical and methodological approaches, for students of the study of religion. My starting point is what I feel is a fairly obvious one, and it harks back to comments I made back in episode 5 of this podcast series, when I talked about what I call the special gloves that we often assume are needed to take part in the study of religion. These really are what we could describe as white cotton gloves to allow us to handle our subjects of our study with special care. Whether these are white cotton or kid leather, The gloves that we apparently need to wear are perhaps like those when handling an ancient manuscript or an artifact. Imagine you're in a museum and a precious relic is brought out and you you want to touch it, you want to examine it, you want to look closely at it. You can't just handle it normally. You do have to show a lot of protection to this fragile object that otherwise might break under your grasp, even just holding it. And the assumption seems to be that the thing, if we can call it a thing, the thing we are studying, that is religion, needs to be protected from any rough or even mundane handling. It's hard not to be engaged in the study of religion without having a sense that the scholar needs to show respect to the subject we are studying. The implication is there is something special about religion that requires reverence and fair treatment of the religion. However, this might not necessarily apply to the people involved. In following this approach, we take the attitude, we make the assumption, and we go about our business by simply trying not to insult or harm the religion we're studying. We need to show some respect. Or otherwise, if we want to take another option, perhaps we can just wear some different gloves. The second option is somewhat different. Simple gloves, yes. But in this case, the second option is latex forensic gloves. These, I mean, are the blue gloves, usually made of latex or nitrile, that CSI crime scene investigators wear when meticulously going over a crime scene. The main purpose of such gloves is to protect the crime scene itself. That is, to prevent the investigator, us doing the study, contaminating the evidence that is to be gathered. Underlying this is the basic CSI approach of not taking anything for granted, and, as they say, to go with the evidence, wherever that may take us. It's an approach that is steeped in scientific discourse, that the world is out there to be gathered up, measured, and analysed. In the study of religion, though, the evidence is a lot more intangible. Evidence is found as much in what people say, that is, their discourses, and what they do, their practices as well in the material traces or physicality the material element is still important but only through the filter of discourse how people talk about and use the material and often the evidence or the data is not what is commonly seen as religion but how we talk about and use the idea of religion when do we and others invoke the r word and how and why Most scholars of religion probably see themselves as crime scene investigators in some way or other. However, they might balk at the idea that they are dealing with a crime scene, as this conflicts with the first approach of showing due respect. We are wearing these gloves for two things, to protect the scene itself, but also to pursue a deep analysis and understanding of something that goes beyond the obvious in that scene. However, Some others may literally consider the consequences of religion as criminal as we would at a crime scene. One thinks here in particular of Richard Dawkins and other new atheists, although technically Dawkins isn't a scholar of religion. But I'd argue that all scholars of religion need to be prepared to do systematic forensic analysis of the issues they study. So be prepared to put on the blue gloves at some point. The third option is somewhat different, and if you can see the picture, it is of the boxer Muhammad Ali, standing victorious in a fight in 1965 against his opponent, Sonny Liston, who's lying prostrate on the floor. The gloves here are boxing gloves. Now the world is a rough and nasty place. Wars are fought, states and political powers control and kill. Ruling classes govern through ideology, as well as through the use of force. The study of religion is about people living within such states and societies, so it's about studying power, conflicts, war, and so on. For me, we need to take off the white protective gloves and at least acknowledge the violence and conflict of human life, and with it the violence that so often is found around what we call religions. Certain religious groups and teachings may condone violence, others may condemn it, In many contexts, religions may do both at the same time, and what are considered the same religion may have interpretations that contradict each other. Such is the nature of human culture and society. Also, within the academy, we have different sorts of fights going on. Fights between atheists and theists. Fights between different philosophies, theologies, and or methodologies. Fights, indeed, over the perceived value of religion. There has been one long fight over decades to establish the study of religion as a viable and respected area of study. On a more personal level, we might even be familiar with the fight that often takes place with our own family and friends to show that our own pursuit of the study of religion may in fact be worthwhile, that it isn't merely a means to become a religious person. Sociologists of religion who have followed from Karl Marx's intellectual tradition talk of the struggle and conflicts of history, particularly the class struggle caused by economic alienation. As the photo of Ali shows, others have testified to different conflicts in history. Muhammad Ali saw himself fighting in his own ways for black people, in particular for African Americans, and within that struggle was his own experience of becoming a Muslim. The fourth photo, the fourth option for gloves, is something quite different. The photo shows two particular people in Hollywood films. The first is Audrey Hepburn in the classic 1961 film Breakfast at Tiffany's, standing with long, elegant evening gloves. And alongside that is a quite different set of evening gloves. This is of the actor Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter in the other classic the Rocky Horror Picture Show of 1975. These are shown to highlight the possibility that the study of religion is also glamorous, fun, exciting, and or perhaps daring. Whether we see ourselves as Audrey Hepburn or Dr. Frankenfurter, we have something to say about the world that can be sexy and interesting, or at least challenging. Long gloves might not be everybody's cup of tea, but they do invoke a very gendered sense of style and eloquence either in the contrasting Hepburn or Rocky Horror Senses. As the gloves suggest, religion only makes sense through a lens of gender and sexualities. The ways in which people make assumptions and understandings about these are deeply associated with the discourses of religion and religions. The study of religion is the study of women and men. It involves the study of actual women and men who have lived. Is also the study of discourses about the categories of women and men. These are ideals, expectations, and as-practiced. Further, the study is about categories that exist beyond and between this female-male binary. It's also about categories of sexualities, normative values, challenges, and progressive, and how ideas and practices of sexualities shape and are shaped by religious and cultural discourses. In short, religions create genders and sexualities, and vice versa, and this is a very important starting place for the study of religion. Our fifth option for the study of religion through the wearing of gloves is an everyday option, perhaps, of thermal winter gloves. I live in a part of the world, in Scotland, where the winter temperatures can get pretty cold. When I'm outside, my hands often need protection. Likewise, sometimes the student in the study of religion feels they need some protection as well. Most acutely, perhaps, a person of a particular religious background may feel a potential threat to their faith or religious identity from such study. This may be particularly the case if they perceive studying religion as requiring them to either deal with challenging questions about faith and or if they are required to learn about other religions. Studying religions, if you have some faith, can be seen as a scary thing in itself. But even without faith, or from a faith perspective, any study of human differences, whether they be social, cultural, religious or otherwise, can be challenging in many different ways. Even if we feel safe in our faith, religion or lack of such, we may feel a challenge from other issues in these studies. From issues related to gender, sexualities, race and racism, history and power, these are all challenging issues for us to explore. Looking out from beyond the perspective of what we know and who we think we are makes us ask questions and requires us to not only try to understand the other's perspectives, it also may encourage us to rethink our own assumptions, values and discourses. This isn't something that necessarily requires us to seek protection, although it can be nice to have some warm comfort to enable us to do so as we immerse ourselves in the process of learning. The sixth option is something quite particular. It shows a picture of a British colonial governor in the country of Kenya, or as the British called Kenya, inspecting in 1954 a group of African troops. These are the dress gloves rooted in power and history. There is no doubt that the world in which we live has a particular history. The study of religion in Britain, North America and other English-speaking countries can't be dissociated from the history of encounter with non-Europeans through the processes of colonialism and empire. The gloves worn in this photo are of this senior British colonial officer, who was governor of Kenya in East Africa from 1952 to 59. During that time, this governor Baring, oversaw the British suppression of the Mau Mau revolt, which involved a brutal policy making use of concentration camps, enclosed villages, massacres and collective punishments. This is one small example of European colonial history, the history that has given rise to the world in which we live today. We can't understand today's world without first trying to understand how the past has shaped it. This goes back to reflecting on how European influence has spread across the globe, particularly since the early 16th century, including the colonisation and conquest of the American continent, trade and empires in Asia and Africa, and the 20th century decolonization that has laid the basis of contemporary globalisation. Such an approach is often called post-colonial studies, an approach to understanding both the world in which we live and the ideas and discourses that we use through acknowledging the ways in which power, colonialism and empires have formed that world. We might not want to wear bearings, dressed gloves of empire to come in contact with the colonial subjects, but we need to give some thought to what aspects of our study, such as the terms that we use and the ideas behind them, might inadvertently be dressed in such colonialist apparel. Okay, so for option seven for the gloves, I'm simply going to discuss the context and the history of the particular photo that I've used. You may be familiar with it. It surfaced quite regularly on social media in the summer of 2016 because it was a photo of an earlier Olympic Games The Games, of course, in 2016, were in Rio, in Brazil. But this photo came from 1968, the Summer Olympics held in Mexico City that year, when two winning track athletes from the United States staged a quiet but public protest as they stood on the podium to receive their medals, wearing socks but no shoes, and each with a black glove on one hand, Tommy Smith and John Carlos both raised a fist high above their heads as the U.S. National Anthem played in celebration of their victories. This was not intended to be, nor was it seen as, merely a gesture of triumph at their success in the Olympics. In the context of the time, of the civil rights movement in the U.S., the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy, and much more, this was a gesture of protest, in support of black empowerment after centuries of injustice, as what they called a cry for freedom. It was a gesture that has close links with the contemporary Black Lives Matter movement. Although Smith and Carlos were both medal-winning world-class athletes, this protest meant that they would never race for their country again. Indeed, similar punishment was meted out on the other man on the podium, Peter Norman, the silver medal-winner, who suffered at the hands of his own country, Australia. Although he didn't put on a glove or hold up his hand, he showed solidarity by wearing a badge of the Olympic Project for Human Rights, which was also worn by both Smith and Carlos. These three athletes, in their various ways, sought to draw attention to human rights and the problems of racism and white supremacism the politics of race and racism underlined why they each chose to make such a visible protest, and to take on the harsh consequences of such a protest. In order to understand this, we need also to understand the critical issues of race and ethnicity that lay behind the civil rights movement of the 1960s, and likewise behind the Black Lives Matter movement of today. Such issues have come out of and also continue to feed into our understandings of the concept of religion on many different levels. Thus, specifically Christian religious discourses were part of the formation of white supremacism, slavery and segregation, and were also part of the challenges against that in African-American resistance, in civil rights and anti-slavery. When Smith and Carlos raised their glove hands in public protest, They only had a single pair of gloves between them. That was all they needed, one glove each, to make a highly visible protest to raise awareness of injustice and to create an enduringly powerful icon of the need to understand power better. Often this idea is framed in terms of an approach in the study of religion, called critical religion. Such an approach is based on seeking to understand history, power, and many forms of inequality and exploitation that are often ignored. It can be about seeking to change the world, or more often about seeking to change the way we think about and understand the world in which we live. The eighth picture is in contrast with the seven before. This is a picture of the actor Brad Pitt in a role that he played as a character Tyler Durden in the 1990 film Fight Club. We've already seen how the study of religion can often be about conflict. Sometimes the rules of the engagement are clear-cut, such as following the Marquis of Queensbury rules for boxing. In contrast to this, there's the idea of bare-fist fighting, associated with films such as Fight Club. There are few rules, except, of course, famously, you don't talk about Fight Club. It's brutal, challenging, and in some ways, according to the actors, transformative we could perhaps argue that richard dawkins pursues his critique of religion in such a bare fist fight manner when he writes about the god illusion the gloves very definitely come off indeed this approach does have affinity with the more cautious and less obviously violent forensic approach instead of playing or fighting by the rules the no gloves approach is about going where the evidence and the analysis takes us but if we use the analogy of fight club we also see a particular way of constructing gender and sexuality, and in particular masculinity. Although we may feel uncomfortable with such a violent way of being a man, it draws attention to how such gender is the result of culture and discourse, including, of course, religion. The ninth option is my final point, and it's a picture of a gauntlet thrown down on the ground rather than worn. And this is my challenge. This is the gauntlet that I'm throwing down to all casual thinkers about religion and religions. All studies of religion are studies of humans, people and the worlds, cultures, meanings, ideas and practices they live within. Thus, whatever we may wear on our hands, what we do looks at the following issues in particular. Power, conflict, control and economic difference gender, sex and sexualities, race, ethnicities and the politics of difference, and the various forms of intersectionality between each of these. Whatever our subject of study may be, and whatever approach we may take, it's always going to be located within the particularities of the history that has created us. This history and politics is one of post-colonialism, after centuries of European colonialism and empires. Ours and others' ideas and knowledge are still largely shaped by those politics. And to further complicate this, a central problematic in the study of religion is that even and especially the term and the idea of religion is itself the product of colonialism, empires and post-colonialism. We wouldn't talk about religion in the way we do if we hadn't been shaped by such politics. The English language term religion is extremely powerful. It can never be used neutrally. And so, likewise, what we choose to wear, perhaps metaphorically, on our hands, helps to shape what we do in the study of religion. So, that's it for today. I hope you found that useful and do take away that question of which pair of gloves do you think you would be wanting to wear in the study of religion, how you go about asking questions about the study of religion. We'll be exploring these issues in depth, not necessarily in terms of the gloves, but the issues that are raised, as we've already talked about race, gender, sexualities, and so on, plus, of course, the intersectionality between all of these identities. If you want to find out more, then I would certainly recommend you go to the Religion Bites website, religionbites.xyz, where you'll see the show notes for this particular episode. And also to follow the links through to the Religion Bytes blog, where over time I'll be putting up more notes, more discussion from all of these episodes up to date on a continuing basis. I'd also like to give a shout out at this point to new facilities I'm using. I recently took on a part-time post teaching at the University of Glasgow, and the episode today, and hopefully in future, is now being recorded in the School of Critical Studies recording studio. I hope you appreciate the difference, perhaps in the quality and the context of the uh, recording of this, and my thanks in particular uh, to the School of Critical Studies for having these facilities that I can be using. So I'm going to take some of this discussion further in the in the next episode that I'll be recording over the next week, looking at how to go about the study of religion that takes on board the religion and culture and the issues that I've talked about up to the present. So I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. And until then, bye for now.